So good morning. Welcome. I think everyone's been around, um, but if you haven't, if you're new this morning, you're catching us kind of on the final leg of a journey through Philippians. And I'm just going to speak for myself when I say that it's really been a, a standout series in my mind. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to file it in my memory archive as most useful and most helpful. It's caught me at, at, a, at a really strange season in my life. I've never been discouraged like I have been in this season, you know. I have known many emotions. I have known anger and outrage and despair and distress and disappointment. But this sense of abject discouragement, plain old battle-weary, bone-tired, I'm on the floor, leave me alone, I've never felt before. And actually, the morning that Tor preached, I woke up crying I sat there crying, and then Tor came with this picture of a failings telling me I couldn't abandon my post. And so Philippians has been picking me up, dusting me off, giving me a little bit of TLC, but then smacking me on the bottom and sending me back out into the fray. So I would like to thank everyone who's preached in this series. It's been really helpful. Everyone who's testified, especially Rob, you've turned me around on many occasions, and everyone who's just sat next to me and let me cry, just um, thank you. Thank you for that. And so we come to the final chapter in this book. Paul is he's wrapping up, he's winding down, and for those of you who like a plan, we have business this morning with chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 1 to 9, if you want to get yourself organized. But because chapter 4 begins with the word therefore, and uh, because I am, according to the scripture this morning, putting into practice what I have learned, my friend Sue says that if you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? And the answer comes in the previous chapter. So we'll start reading at chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to work our way down to chapter 4, verse 9, and we are going to pretend that verse 2 and 3 don't exist. And we're going to do that because on the 19th of May, a man named Jim Partridge came and he preached on unity in the church. He preached on submission to one another in reverence to Christ. And he did it so well and so helpfully that there's nothing I could add to that except to say, listen to it, Jim Partridge, 19th of May. And whenever you need to, go back and listen to that again. But before we read this letter, can we just pause for a moment? And can we remember that this is a letter? This is not a history. This is not a book of law. This is not a set of poetry. This is a letter. Can I remind you of what letters signify? Will you be nostalgic with me for minutes? When last did you write a letter? I mean a real letter, not a couple of words on a card. I mean a letter. One that you sit down for, where you get out the notepad, you know, it's got the flowers on the edge, it's got a matching envelope, maybe you've got a pen that's a matching color, and you sit, and you pour out your heart onto the page, you write pages, you tell of the emotions of your heart, you tell of your doings, you speak of things of your life, it's written to someone you care about, it's written to someone you love, and maybe you spray it with a bit of perfume, So as they open it, they get your scent. Maybe you put a bit of lippy on and you seal it with a kiss. Anyone remember that? (laughs) 
<laughs> a letter is a beautiful thing. So today, yes, this letter is penned by Paul, and it is written to a church in Philippi, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so it's written to us today, so that we could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as we read this letter, would you hear our Father? A Father who is faithful and loving, who is patient and kind. A Father who knew exactly what he was letting himself in for when he chose to love us, but he did it anyway. A Father who does not wish to discard us, who does not wish to find fault with our weaknesses, and there's a beautiful song in um, a line in a song called Who Am I by Casting Crowns. And it says, Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? I never planned to cry this time, you know. <laughs> God wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to us. He saved this letter through the passage of time. Don't you want to know what it says to you? When last did you receive a letter? Do you remember that? When last did you get a letter? That you open the door and there's a letter on the thingamajiggy on the floor. And you know the letter. You know the envelope. You know the writing. You know who sent this letter. Do you remember the joy that that brings you? The excitement. And maybe the letter comes at at a difficult time. And maybe it has just the right words to encourage you, just the right words to strengthen you, just the right words to keep you going. See, in 2000, I came to England knowing no one with 200 borrowed pounds in my pocket. And um, it was six months before my family could join me. And I'm I'm a mom, and I'd left my two-year-old daughter and my husband in South Africa. And with lots of bureaucratic hiccups, it was six months before they could join me. And it was a hard time. But my mom would write to me, and my friends would write to me, and my family would write to me. And my mom would reassure me. She would tell me, you have done the right thing. She said, you've got to keep your eye on the long run. You are doing what's best for you and your daughter. Don't think about this hard time you're going through. Think about the future. She would reassure me that she had everything in control. My child was fine. She would send me words of encouragement. She would send me pictures. And let me tell you, God is still doing that with us today through this letter. And you know what? Her letters, everything that she said was right. She would give me advice. She would say, sleep well, enjoy the time without a child, rest, because once your child joins you, you're never going to have that again in your life. She'd tell me, when you've got time, freeze food, make food at the weekend, freeze it. Sound advice. My mother was right. But as I read her words, I was uplifted. I was encouraged. I was strengthened. And she was right, and yeah, I am. And it was, it was a blink of time that 19 years that it is. Her letters helped. I wonder what my life would have been like if she said, you gave it your best shot, pack it in. What would life have looked like? I wouldn't have found Jesus for a start. So as we hear this letter, hear our Father's encouragement, hear his wisdom, receive his strengthening, welcome his advice so that we can run. Run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Are you ready to read this letter? So, if you've got your Bible with you. So we're going to start reading uh, chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firmly in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sinsuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So why the urging to stand firm in the Lord? This letter is written to a church. It's a body of believers. They've already taken their stand. Their stand is in the Lord. It's generally accepted this is a good church. The Odia and Sintiki are having a bit of a barney. But that's okay, because in the grand scheme of things, Paul still says, you are my joy and you're my crown. So why the urging to this group of believers to stand firm in the Lord? Weren't they, weren't they doing that already? See, as much as we believers today, we are saved and we are redeemed. We are justified and we are made righteous. doesn't mean we know God's ways. And Moses was onto that much before me because Moses comes to God and Moses says, if you are pleased with me, God, then teach me your ways so that I can know you, so that I can continue to find favor with you. And Isaiah knew it. Isaiah said, for your thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. See, God knows that while he made the way, He has to tell us the way. He has to show us the way, and he's got to hold our hand along the way. And that's why we have Jesus, the Spirit, the Word, and and even each other. And so he says in verse 1, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Three little words that are so easily overlooked. We're going to skip verse 2 to 3. So here's what it looked like to stand firm in the Lord. It means we rejoice always. It means that our gentleness is evident to all. It means we are not anxious about anything. We are prayerful in every situation. We are thankful in every situation. We ask God in every situation. We are at peace. We think only about good things. And we put into practice all we have learned, heard, received, and seen. How are you doing? (laughs) How are you doing in standing firm in the Lord? Now, you could look at that list, and you could take it one of a couple of ways, couldn't you? If you were a Christian here today, you could look at that list, and you could just feel discouraged. You could think, this is just a list. I'm failing at this. If this is what it looks like to stand firm in the Lord, 
might as well pack it in now. Might as well pack up. I'm not built for this. And if you're not a Christian yet today, you could get really defensive with that and think, this is why I'm not part of this clan, because I will not be dictated to about how I'm supposed to feel, behave, and even think. But don't see that. See Creator God. See a God who knows us, his creation, better than we know ourselves. He knows we are dust. He made us from dust. We don't drift naturally into holiness. He knows we fight a lifelong battle with our own sinful nature, never mind the schemes of the devil. And so he would forewarn us. He would forewarn us so that we are forearmed. He would show us the traps that we can fall into. He would show us the systematic, step-by-step pattern of decline. He'll show us a game of snakes and ladders. Now, rules of engagement for snakes and ladders. Do you remember that? We head towards the finish line. You land on a snake, you slide down, but you land on a ladder and you climb back up again. So God gave me an object lesson in this. Right, so on the 26th of June, I had to go to Manchester for work, and I was really excited about this. I googled the journey, it was 45 minutes to drive, which means the way I drive, 68 minutes. And then I had to find a, um, I had to find a parking in Inner City, Manchester. But actually, if I took the train, it was 30 minutes and 5 minutes walk from Victoria. So it was a no-brainer for me. I hate driving, I love trains. Got the train. I was all organized. I was excited. I had a plan. I was going to get to the train station. I was going to buy me a bacon bomb, a pan of raisin, and the biggest latte I could find. I fixed it up with God. He was taking the seat next to me on the train, and we were going to, we were going to talk through what he wanted me to say today, and I was sorted. And I got to Lime Street, and it all went wrong. It was a big sign that said, there are no trains leaving from here today. So I go to the man behind the counter who very nonchalantly says to me, yeah, go to Central, then go to Liverpool South Park when you can get a train to Manchester there. And I, I drive, I don't know how to do these things, but I followed the crowd, yeah? I followed the crowd and the crowd went and I was holding it together and then I got to Liverpool South Parkway and the man said, we don't go to Victoria. And within an instant, my joy left me. My gentleness went with it. I had words for the man. I told him what I thought of his attitude. Does he not understand we have commitments and time pressures and we have places to be and he should at least be apologetic for this delay? My gentleness was gone. As I looked at the sea of passengers, they were on a deliberate path to get in my way. Do you know the old ladies with the zimmers and the mothers with the double buggies. There was a family that had a baby strapped on, two toddlers there. They had about seven suitcases. They were in my way. There was nothing gentle about me. If you were playing a game of spot the Christian in the train station, it wasn't me. There was nothing gentle about me. I was not prayerful. In fact, God was just crowded right out of my mind. Do you know, I was anxious. I was anxious. I was worried about I wasn't going to get there at 10 o'clock. 
I didn't know anybody's phone number. What if I was late? What, what, what? I, my head was, it was about nine o'clock in the morning. My head was already at half past five. What if I have this trouble coming back home? I've got to pick up Malik. I've got parents evening. My first appointment is at six. I was anxious about everything. I was prayerful about nothing. I was thankful for nothing. Not the train system, not these people getting in my way. There was no thankfulness in me. And I wasn't asking God for anything. And you don't want to know where my thoughts went. I know bad words in my head. I have a terrible way of dealing with things in my head. And if this is the criteria for standing firm in the Lord, I wasn't standing. Never mind standing firm. I was on the floor. I was throwing a tantrum. I was wringing my hands and kicking my feet and spitting out my dummy. And that's just how I deal with the train delay. How am I going to deal with real trouble? But God used the circumstance to show me this step-by-step pattern of decline, a proverbial slippery slope. And um, if you can see a pattern, you can guard against a pattern. You can defend against a pattern. Billy Graham and his team recognized the importance of patterns, identifying being aware of patterns. So as a, as a ministry team... They got together and they planned an attack against their ministry. They said, if we were the devil, how would we attack this ministry? And they came up, they, they, they got an, a plan of attack, and then they got a plan of defense. So, for example, they realized that money could become a temptation in a ministry like this. So lots of money comes in, and there was a pattern of embezzlement, of fraud. So, yes, prayer was part of it, but so was a practical arrangement. They made sure that they would never have access to the money that they would go out and do the ministering but not handle the money. They recognized that adultery was a temptation in that ministry because they were away from home quite a lot. And so there's that temptation to stray. So they made a plan. And their plan was they were going to all stay together, same hotel, inter-knocking rooms, not to spy on one another but to guard one another. So seeing a pattern is helpful because when we see a pattern, we can guard against it. And these verses show the snake we can go down. Joy is the first thing to go. When your joy goes, gentleness is going next. And I'm sure you know that if you think about it. When you lose your joy, who do you snap at? The children, you kick the cat. You behave badly in all kinds of ways. Anxiety kicks in next. That's when you become anxious. And that's when we stop praying. When we stop praying, we become ungrateful and discontent. We lose our thankfulness. We lose our peace. And then we start to try to deal with the mess of life ourselves. And so there's a pattern we can come down. There's a snake we can come down. But as God unmasks the snake, he also offers us a ladder. Because yes, we are dust, but we are dust that houses the Holy Spirit of God. We are embodied spirit. And God knows us. He knows that while we might get gospel passed, we understand that Jesus, Jesus, he died and our sins are forgiven. We understand that our relationship with God is restored. We understand that our eternal lives are secured. Our place in heaven is secured. We get gospel past. We even get gospel future. We understand Jesus is coming back again, and he's going to come for us, and we're going to have a life that is perfect, where there will be no more disease, no more distress, no more death, and God himself is going to wipe every eye. But we have to live through the middle bit. We have to live through gospel presence, and it is hard 
It is hard. And I want you to know that if you are having a joyful season and it is going well and you are standing firm, I am happy for you. But for many of us, it's hard, even though we know Jesus, even though we have the word and we have the spirit and we have each other, it is hard going. And we just have to have faith. And not the George Michael kind, the Jesus kind. See, the Bible defines faith for us in Hebrews, and it says faith is confidence. Confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. Faith is simply belief. Faith and belief are two English translations for what's one word in Greek. But we must not be fooled into thinking that faith is just intellectual assent. It's not just intellectual agreement. Yeah, I believe in Jesus because you know what? The devil believes in Jesus too. So do the demons. But they tremble before him. But we don't because we are saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed in scripture alone, to God's glory alone. We have saving faith. We believe in God, but then we act on it. And that saving faith comes with the three elements. It has content. Our faith has legs. It can stand. We are citizens of heaven. We are, we have not filled in an application that we are waiting for approval for. We are citizens of heaven because of Jesus. And so all those gifts and those rights and those powers and those privileges that come with being a citizen of heaven, we have access to that today. Our faith has a content. Our faith gives us a relationship with Jesus, a trust, a personal, loving trust in our hearts for Jesus. And we are waiting for Jesus We are not waiting for the next best thing to come about. We are waiting for Jesus to come back, to transform us, to transform the earth. And the third element of our faith is that we have a commitment to repent. We have made a commitment to give up control of our lives and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus over our thoughts, over our actions, and it's not popular. But it's there. So if we go back to my train journey, at some point I had to realize that I had done everything within my power not to be late or lost. I'd researched the journey. I'd booked the tickets in advance. I'd listened to the Spirit tell me, book the flexible ticket. Don't be tied to the train time. I'd listened to the Spirit tell me, take a pen and a notebook and a Bible because we're going to conflab over this preach. I'd listened. I set the alarm. I didn't hit the snooze button. I woke up early. I had done everything. It wasn't God's plan. And so I just had to surrender. I just had to say, God, you don't want me to do this today. What, what, what are we doing? What do you want me to do today? And then the Spirit said to me quietly, put into practice what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have received. And I thought of Jenny. I thought, I know what Jenny would do. Jenny would send out an SOS right about now. Jenny would get on a WhatsApp group, and she would send out an SOS. So would Sarah Joy. So would Luke. So would James. And I was thinking about all these people who would do exactly that. And so I stopped in the middle of the chaos. 
I needed to pee, I needed to drink, I needed to eat, I needed to find the platform, I was trying to judge the crowd, and I just stopped. And I sent out an SOS on the WhatsApp group. And then I put into practice what my friend Liz had told me. So my friend Liz said to me, on the day she feels, not the days, the moment she feels like she's falling, like she's not standing firm, she turns her mind to praise. And she starts with A, and she works her way down the alphabet. She thinks of an attribute of God, and she praises him for it. And she said to me, to be honest, I never get to D before my afflictions are just eclipsed by God's glory. And so I began, and so I wrestled for the controls of my mind, and I jammed the thing into manual override, and I turned that juggernaut of unhelpful thoughts, and I said, God, you are almighty. This situation is not outside of your might. So either you have arranged this or you are allowing it to happen. Either way, you are working it out for my good and I'm going to choose to praise you. And um, Liz was right. I never did get to D. So by now I was on the train. I could feel the prayers offered up for me. I turned my mind back up to things that were lovely. And I could feel God's peace guard my heart and my mind. And this peace just descended on me. Just it rolled down me, slow like fog on a mountain. And then I could ask God, and I said, God, what was your plan for today? Because it wasn't my plan. And then, just slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit took me through the morning, and he showed me all of the blessings, all of the things that he had planned for me, all those little things that I had seen. And I became thankful. I was like, oh, thank you, God. Yeah, I see that now. I saw what you did there. Yeah, I know I got that. And before you knew it, I had prayed my way into praying. And I was prayerful again. And I was sitting there with my headphones on the train, late as ever, just saying, but not, not a bit anxious, just like, I'll get there when you want me to get there, God. But in this moment, I'm going to enjoy you. I'm going to sit here with my earphones and my Bible. I'm going to listen to you. And my gentleness came back. So when two old ladies came with their delta frames, you know, the one that's got the stool you can perch on. And they were lost and looking for to how to finding out how to get to Victoria. I was gentle with them. I didn't see them as two bogeys I could score 500 points for if I shot them down. I didn't say I'm from South Africa. I don't know how to get to Victoria. I said, come on, I'm figuring it out myself. And we had a lovely little morning and we poodled along. We got on the tram together. They told me about their friendship and their lives and the war. And we had a little picnic on the tram. And you know what? It was a lovely morning, and I got my joy back. And in the topsy-turviness of the morning, my joy came back. God offered me a ladder, a ladder back to my joy. Well, not before I turned. I had to turn. I had to lay down my agenda. I had to say, God, it's not yours. And I had to climb the first rungs of those ladder. I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't easy, but I had to climb. I had to put something into practice that I had seen. I had to put something into practice that I had received from a friend. I had to wrestle my mind back to Jesus, and then his peace guarded me. Now, my train analogy might seem really trivial against the backdrop of your struggle. It's trivial against the backdrop of my own struggles and my own discouragements. But think of it as a vaccination. And a vaccination works because we introduce a little bit of disease without exposing our bodies to a disease, and then our immune system builds antibodies that can fight it. So that if we really get, so for example, measles, 
Our immune system knows how to recognize it. So maybe the snake that you slide down, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's work, maybe it's finances, maybe it's health. What's that thing that so easily robs your joy? Snatches away your gentleness. Causes you to become anxious. Whatever it is, get your immune system ready. Get your spiritual immune system ready with an antibody. Do you know, Mark Pryor said to me one Wednesday morning, before trouble hits, you have to have your plan. When trouble hits, it's too late. You need to know what you're going to do. And she's a very wise woman. And um, many of you know work is not an area where I stand firm in the Lord at this point in time. But since the 12th of May, when a man named Simon Elliott came to speak, and he said, work matters. He said, stop running away from work, walk into work. I'm putting it into practice, and I get there, and within minutes, my joy is gone like that. But I know what's going to come next. I know I'm going to lose gentleness. I know I'm going to become anxious. I know I'm not going to be prayerful. I know, I know, I know. And so I put something into practice that is going to slingshot me back up the ladder. And sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's a really woeful song. (laughs) I am a child of God. Sometimes it's a really defiant song. And I'm singing, I am more than a conqueror. But I have to put something into practice. Joy is the first thing to go. And if you today, if you are losing your joy, if you've lost your joy, or you're so far down the ladder, down the snake, I mean, that you can't even see the ladder in the dark place you are. I want you to know, God is not angry at you. He's not. God will never, ever, ever be angry with us again. Every bit of anger we could ever cause him, will ever cause him, Jesus took for us on the cross. We won't make him angry, but we will break his heart. God's our Father. God is love. He cares about the way that we feel. He wants us to feel joy. All through the Bible it says consistently, do not be anxious, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed. God doesn't want us to live this earthly life miserable, grinning and bearing it through gritted teeth, either stoic martyrs or self-flagellators. He wants us to feel joy And he knows that the way that we feel manifests externally and visibly in our behavior, but also internally and visibly within our thoughts. He wants joy for us, and he made a way for us to have joy. His name is Jesus. And if you don't know him, I want to introduce you. And you know, when we lose our joy, when we boil it down, when we reduce it, it comes down to one of two things, fear or pride. If it's fear, fear for whatever reason, fear just for our children living in this wicked world, fear for financial security in an uncertain time, fear because of health scares, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you back. Run to him. He is our rock. Hide in him. He's our fortress. He's our shield. He's our stronghold. He's our deliverer. He is our salvation. And if it's pride, and you will know it's pride because things won't be going the way you want it to, 
So maybe work is not organized the way you want it to. The person in your life is not the person you would have them be. The children don't behave the way you would have them behave. You will know it's pride. Jesus is calling you to. He's calling you to repent. Forgiveness is ours. It's part of the salvation package. Lay down your agenda and trust Jesus. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Revealed in the scripture alone, for God's glory alone. Our God is standing firm. Our God reigns. Jesus is next to him on his right hand side and the spirit is within us. And the Spirit is teaching us and straightening out our words to Jesus. And Jesus is interceding to the Father. Our God, our God stands firm. And you know what? So can we. So can we.